Well, it's a great privilege and joy to be invited by Father James and Father Jan to have my first sermon here in your midst. Although I have to confess, when he said it was going to be this particular gospel, I said, Father, really? This is a brutal gospel. But thankfully, as Catholics, we have a way to interpret what on the surface seem to be brutal gospels. It's a way of connecting the testaments, seeing that the New Testament is hidden in the old and the old is fulfilled in the new. That's a principle that helps us unpack troubling scriptures. In the words of the great scholar Walter Brueggemann, we're not required to agree with the scripture as much as we are required to struggle with it. So let's struggle with this gospel. And let's remember that going back from the beginning, one of the central images that the Old Testament writers used to show us the connection between earth and heaven, between humanity and divinity, was not a word, but rather a meal, food. Over and over and over again, long before the time of Jesus, the Hebrew Bible shows us the mysticism of food. Nearly every major biblical promise was offered and accepted and sometimes broken over a meal. Remember Esau stealing his brother Jacob's inheritance over a meal. Joseph's jealous brothers are reconciled to him over a meal. The people of Israel are exiled in Egypt eating bitter herbs God delivers them from Egypt over a meal. Israel is lost in its sin and separation in the wilderness, and God in the wilderness feeds them with a meal, which sets up today's Old Testament reading. We see that in fulfillment of that hope, we have in the book of Isaiah this dynamic, a banquet, an incredible meal that was prefigured long before in the very first book of the Bible. Remember, as Father Robert Barron points out to us, our whole spiritual genealogy, our human disposition to tend to our own selfish ways can be connected to that very first meal that went so horribly wrong in the Garden of Eden. When our first parents, our spiritual ancestors, did what? They seized the food from the fruit of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil because they, well, they knew better than God what reality really was. And so here we are at the book of Isaiah. It is not just a meal, but it is a cosmic banquet that transcends all time and space. And this God looking down on his perpetually self-absorbed people forgives them again to this 
beautiful, rich feast of aged wines and savory foods, which right about now puts me in mind of Jeff Ruby's ribeye steak with grilled onions and maybe a good pinot, which prepares us for the gospel. Because in the fullness of time, Jesus is the fulfiller of that meal prefigured in Isaiah. And time and time again, what does Jesus do to be Jesus? Does he teach? Does he preach? Yes and yes. But when and where does he teach and preach? Again, he sits down at table. And again, he invites his disciples and everyone to, yes, a meal. And even more than Isaiah meant it, Jesus means everyone. The lame, the blind, the outsiders, the insiders, the poor, the rich. And that famous song we sing here captures that vision. All are welcome at this banquet. Which brings us to today and this Mass, which helps us remember, why are you here? To recalibrate your spiritual compass? Yes. But ultimately, to dine with the risen Lord, to drink with the risen Lord, to commune with the risen Lord, and to remind us of this invitation to a meal, our priests invite us every week with these words, the Lord be with you, and we respond, and with your spirit, which sets up the inner logic of the Mass. Because with those words, we remember that we are not here in our own name. We are here in the name of Jesus, our host, who says to all of us perpetually self-absorbed sinners, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Which brings us to the particulars of this gospel. Who is the king in this parable? That would be God the Father, who so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son for us. And he wants, in this gospel, to give his beloved Son a meal, a banquet, fulfilling that banquet foretold in Isaiah. And he invites us not only to think about him, but to taste and see that he is good. But here comes now the brutal part. Because Matthew focuses us insistently, like a laser beam, on the reaction of the guests. They refused to come. Who invited them? Who were the servants in this gospel? They would be the prophets the patriarchs, the kings, and the religious leaders down through time. But the guests, Matthew, requires us to struggle with this fact. They refused to come. And this, my friends, is the saddest line in the entire Bible.
they refused. And think back through the meal symbol of the Bible, and we can see this repeated time and time again in the meal mysticism of Christianity. God invites, and again, those invited say no. So here's the bottom line for us today. Do we believe that we, you and I, are being invited to commune with the risen Lord? It is a binary question, yes or no. How are you being called to this banquet? Perhaps it's the words of this gospel. Perhaps it's Father's homily last week. Perhaps it's your small group. Perhaps a teacher at school, your coach, a preacher you heard on TV, a YouTube video, an amazing song. Who knows? But you are being summoned to commune with God. Perhaps it was that incredible sunset at the lake or the beach this summer, the mountain hike. Only you can know the uniquely for you invitation addressed personally by God. But some, some went to their farms, some went to their businesses. Have you ever invited anyone to dinner and they didn't respond to you? It hurts your feelings, doesn't it? This gospel is a window into the feelings of God. What it feels like from his perspective to invite again and again. And it forces us to ask that unsettling question with which we struggle, what really are our priorities? I know, Lord, I know you're inviting me to commune with you, to spend time with you, to be with you. I get that, but I'm busy, I'm committed, I'm, I'm calendared. Our precious calendars. Why so busy? Why so unhappy? This parable challenges our indifference our lack of prioritization. And it wants us to see the consequences on our soul of a lack of proper prioritization. It wants us to struggle with the flat-out tragedy of running away from the most beautiful and important invitation you and I will ever receive to spend time with the Lord. Think about the religious leaders who invite us. Are we ignoring them? Are we contemptuously disregarding them, ridiculing them with what they say? Here I think of the great Catholic novelist Flannery O'Connor, who says that my stories are always about the offer of grace, which is usually refused. The Bible is saying, don't refuse. The king goes again and again back into the streets as ever because he is a gathering God. 
He is an inviting God. And then that really strange part at the end about the guy not dressed properly. The scholars remind us that at the time of an invitation in the ancient world came the garment as a courtesy. So how hard would it have been for him to put it on? And here, friends, here is the first take-home of this gospel. Grace always comes first, absolutely, but you must cooperate with it. And here's the second principle of this gospel. It's possible to say yes to the invitation, but not to change your life. The wedding garment is another inner logic of this gospel. It is a symbol that we must prepare to commune with God. We must do our part. We must transform our lives. Which is why St. Paul says elsewhere, we are called to literally put on Jesus Christ. Taking off the old garments of our narrow, selfish little ways and putting on the new garments of justice, of forgiveness, of mercy. And so let us struggle with this gospel. Because at the end of the day, it is about one thing. It is about conversion of heart. And so, as we come forward now to this table in a few moments, let us ask ourselves two searing questions. Have we said yes, really, to God's invitation? Or are we too busy with our lives? And secondly, if we have heard the invitation, are we just showing up or are we really willing to change our lives, to embrace the call to continuous conversion? In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.